This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Every week on Hire, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at digitalocean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 65 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. John Papa. Hey, everyone. Ward Bell. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We're probably going to have Peter Bacon Darwin join us in a few minutes. Uh, He was one of the organizers of Angular Connect. We're going to talk about some of the news about uh, Angular that came up during the conference. Uh, Joe, do you want to kind of uh, give us some of the highlights? Yeah, so the big news was they wanted to go to beta and Angular Connect, but couldn't quite get it done in time. So the, the word that I hear is that beta for Angular is anywhere from three to nine weeks away is what they anticipate. And that's a pretty unusual to have them actually say a date or, mm-hmm. you know, a time frame of any kind. So my assumption is, is that it's a fairly realistic. I mean, I certainly wouldn't, if I was a betting man, put any money on even nine weeks, but it's certainly not unreasonable to assume that they'll hit it. But, you know, you never know. You always know that software development could go a little bit long. So it might be more than nine weeks. And so here it is, uh, October 20th. But we certainly could be seeing beta in November and probably in the worst case, December. Yeah, I was uh, going to say nine weeks is the is New Year's, basically. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, and maybe, Jan- maybe it'll be in January um, when we finally see the beta version. But I think the main point that they... So this, for me, is the biggest news by far. There were some other smaller things that came out, and I'll go over those. But by far, the main point there is that even though we're still shortly away from beta, really the API, they have said, they feel like is stable. So we're not going to see these weekly breaking changes that we've been seeing in alpha. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that there won't be some breaking changes, but it's... (laughs) I can guarantee. (laughs) Let's put some money on it. I guarantee there's a breaking (laughs) change or two coming your way soon. (laughs) Oh, I right. want money on that one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a fair bet since they're not really willing to put the beta or release candidate stamp on it quite yet. Right. Well, and even in beta, we should see some breaking changes. Yeah. But I think for the Angular team, beta means two things. One, the API is stable, not static, but stable. Right. Right. So it's not. we're not going to see the kinds of changes we were seeing before where one week it works and the next week you're doing something entirely different just to get Angular up and running and all the syntax is entirely different, right? We're still going to see some breaking changes, but it's going to be small, smaller mm-hmm. things. And it's going to be like one breaking change per release rather than 10. And then documentation, which Ward knows all kinds of things about. So I think for them, that's what beta is, is good documentation so that people can learn the product and the API is fairly stable. So even though it's not labeled beta right now, I think the main reason it's not labeled beta is because they're still working hard to make sure the documentation is up to snuff and actually 
John, you may not know this, but you got quite a few shout outs uh, during the conference for your contributions to the documentation, as did Ward. So you guys were the only two mentioned by name when it came to documentation. That's good to hear. I actually haven't watched most of the sessions yet because I've been working. So I'm planning on right. watching, and then this evening. Yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping they recorded them all because I haven't had a chance to watch them. But I, I did have a preview look at the keynote deck, and that looked pretty impressive to me. I, uh, how did that go over, Joe? Uh, the keynote was really interesting, and I highly recommend that everybody watch it. And to watch the videos, uh, just go to AngularConnect.com, and then they have links to all the videos. Um, oh, they have the videos up now. Um, I believe yes. some of. At least day one is up now. I'm not sure if day two has been put up or not, but the recording place, which is the same one we use for um, NGConf, they're really good about getting the videos put up really quick. Yeah, and the so, keynote got up a little bit late from yesterday, and I started watch, I watched the first 15 minutes of that this morning, but uh, mm-hmm. the quality was pretty good, and it did get up there this morning. Right. Certainly by the time anybody's listening to this episode, they'll all be up. So for me, what was interesting about the keynote is that each person – talked for just a short time and they had a lot of different people go up like the Anik guys got up and talked i'm trying to remember who else got up who else got oh up wow and- so it wasn't just the core team no right, i exactly. scanned through the deck they, they had a bunch they had like seven or eight different people there you know what it reminded me of joe it reminded me of a microsoft keynote did it really yeah because that's generally what they do is they'll have somebody go up there and do a narration talk something like brad for example uh, kind of uh-huh. leading the whole story and then they bring up other partners and people to kind of tell the sub stories and the plots along the way huh. right and FYI, uh, Peter just joined us. Hi, guys. Hey, Peter. Good to see you. Oh, hey, from here. <laughs> <laughs> Long Peter day is, for uh, a conference organizer, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm literally about to go to bed, but I thought I'd pop in and say hello to you. Well, thanks um, for putting on such a great event. Did you, I, I guess you watched it on the on this live stream? I'm planning on it, but it sounds like it was from what I'm hearing. Yeah, they're mostly taking my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. Yeah, it was fantastic. So who else was in the uh, keynote? Besides Ionic, Brad and uh, Igor were the only two core team members that spoke. Telerik. Yeah, Telerik. And they're doing a bit about native script, weren't they? Right. Wasn't the um, TypeScript team, did they get up during the keynote? Or was that like, that maybe that was the first talk afterwards? No, the straight away afterwards was um, uh, the new head of the TypeScript team. Yeah. Yeah, the new t- head. And then um, the Meteor guy was up there too. Oh, yeah. Right. Your guy was up there. He was talking about performance. That was that part was particularly interesting to me. And of course, you can you always have to take every performance graph with a grain of salt <laughs> because they can always choose to, to test in the best things about performance. And mm-hmm. the fact that Angular two doesn't use a virtual DOM means that there are definitely things you can do, which are going to show that other frameworks that do use a virtual DOM are faster for that type of thing. But the graphs that Meteor Guy was showing were showing that Angular 2 is the fastest of the major frameworks that are released right now, um, and both in initial rendering time and a re-rendering and updating time. So it was a pretty uh, serious performance measuring and, effort. And as graphs go, it was pretty... The other graphs were sort of linearly going up, and the, the Angular 2 graph was just flat as a pancake. Right. It, it was like orders of magnitude faster. Yeah. And I, again, you know, I don't know how that exactly is, how realistic that measure is, but it was very dramatic. Yeah, certainly, certainly we can rest assured, which I think we could always have done this even back with ng-conf when we first saw these performance metrics, that Angular 2 is hanging in there with the fastest of the frameworks, whether it truly is faster you know, in every case or just faster in a few cases, whatever the point being, it's right up there with, you don't have to worry about performance when you're dealing with Angular 2. And they talked to, you know, in different places about using immutable data and observables to potentially even increase your performance even further. But even well, without... I, I'm, it, I'm betting that flat line was with immutable data. That's how you get a flat line like that, is when they use immutable data or sometimes with observable data. Yeah, look at the graphs... Um, some of the things of the flatline weren't necessarily as you in, increase the co- the load. Some of them were just over time and things like that. But and hey, guys, yeah, go check guys, it out. I, I think Peter's going to be going to bed soon, and I'm dying to hear stuff about Angular One X as well. Uh-huh. And Peter, that's Peter your did, niche, isn't it? Peter did give a great talk on One Five. So that and also all the effort going into ng upgrade, which I think you uh, participated a lot in that, didn't you, Pete? Yeah, so the, the talk I gave was, in fact, in two parts. I did it with Lucas Murrellman, and uh, the two parts were, part one was what's coming in Angular 1.5, and part two was what upgrade features are we looking to add to the, the ecosystem as a whole to help people move from 1.5 
or one two Angular two. Those so, sound like two episodes that we should have in the future. Yeah, yeah, they do. Well, the, the second half, which was the upgrading side, was again split into two parts, really, because there were two projects that we are promoting. There's the NG upgrade project, which Misco has mostly been working on, although Igor and I had a little bit of hand in that initially. And then there's another one called NG Forward, which is basically annotating Angular 1 code using, uh, like basically a, a way of writing your Angular 1 code using decorators and ES6 classes and modules in such a way that it looks really similar to Angular 2 code. Um, and these two projects, I think, so the, the NG upgrade project is about interoperation of Angular 1 and Angular 2 within the same application. So I want to ask you a question about that, Pete. I've seen plenty of people talking before about, hey, you know, you want to make your Angular 1 code easier to upgrade, use controller as and write everything as a directive. And I've also played around with Angular 2 a fair amount, but I haven't necessarily done any serious effort of looking at the upgrade path. But just from my cursory look, I always kind of got this feeling that these things that people are saying to do to prepare your Angular 1 code in the end are going to make a very tiny amount of difference in the total amount of effort it's going to take. What's your opinion? Are you, and I didn't think that it was necessarily a bad thing because writing better Angular 1 code is still a better idea. And using controller as and using more directives to compartmentalize and encapsulate your code is a good idea. Do you feel like it's a meaningful difference manipulating your Angular 1 code in this way? I think that there, there is a definite benefit from doing it. The way I see it is that any team that's going to do an upgrade of an application, and it must be a pretty big up, uh, application to want to do an upgrade rather than just a rewrite, there's going to be a number of different facets that you're going to need to look at. So there's some obvious ones like translating the code from the way that it is in Angular 1 to Angular 2. But also there are things like understanding the conceptual differences between Angular 1 and Angular 2, getting your head around that as a team, training up on the new languages. So if you're going to use TypeScript, for instance, getting your team to understand how to use those, getting on top of the tooling that you need. Obviously, when you start using ES6 or TypeScript, then there's transpilation involved and another module packaging and loading and so on. So there's all these different features that you're going to have to build upon. And I, I guess one of the things that I think of in terms of upgrade is how can I do that bit by bit without trying to do everything all at once? So perhaps the idea of starting with your Angular 1 code and saying, okay, let's just work within Angular 1 to make our code slightly conceptually more similar to what we're going to do in Angular 2, which is not use ng controller, not use scope, but use components much more and try to write those components using this component as uh, a controller as style so that you're using this rather than scope much more. I think that as much as anything is setting the right mental, resetting the mental model for your developers so that they are starting to think in a slightly more Angular 2 way. Right. So rather than necessarily thinking how many lines of code am I going to have to touch in order to make the transition even after I've done that, I think there's more to do with how do I change the culture within my team to make right. them more focused on the way that Angular 2 is going to work? So even if it doesn't save you half the time, it's still a very valuable effort to go through. Because then when you do then start doing the translation, you're not trying to learn to change your conceptual uh, view of life as you're trying to do the, the nitty-gritty of the component upgrades at the same time. Right. I mean, so the whole point of, is, I think, if you're in the mindset, as Peter said, if you in the mindset that you want to upgrade and not rewrite, You've already decided you don't want to take on a hundred things at once, which is what mm -hmm. rewriting is. So mm -hmm. if you're going to upgrade, it's better to get your head straight, right? Prepare for it. Uh, learn TypeScript or ES6. Go there. And I don't think I know we've talked about this offline, Joe, but I don't think doing these things is going to make your code better for Angular 2 so much as it is your mental state. Meaning, mm -hmm. if you learn how to do controller as and write uh, more in line with what components and classes look like. It's going to be less of a leap for you to look at TypeScript or ES6 and go, okay, now I get this. Because uh, what I'm seeing with folks right now who are still using Angular when they were started it with like Angular 1.0, uh, some of those patterns that they're using, and I showed them Angular 2, it was a massive leap for them to think about System.js or Webpack or TypeScript or annotations. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of see this as a, uh, an exercise in getting ready for the next stage. Right. Another thing that I thought was interesting from Pete's talk is uh, he showed the relative search, or no, 
maybe it wasn't you, it was Brad who showed the relative hits between the Angular 2 site and the Angular 1 site. And the Angular 1 is still like 93 or 97% of the traffic. Yeah, very much so. But you've got to remember, he also had a slide up that said, we currently get about a million unique hits of visitors on the Angular 1 site. And so Angular 1 is just so far ahead in terms of yeah. users that however fast Angular 2 grows, it's going to still take a long time to catch up with right. that. So if you had, what was it, 93 and 7% or something? I think something like 7% that. 7% of a million hits on Angular 1 is getting pretty big already. Yeah, it is getting big. You know, it might be interesting to see a similar graph compared to, say, another framework right? rather than Angular 1. But I think for, for me, it was nice to see that the Angular team is continuing its commitment to Angular 1. So for people that are still using Angular 1 have projects that are not going to get upgraded, they still aren't in a place where they need to worry about anything. That's absolutely true because... Uh, someone tweeted to me actually saying, you've mentioned 1.6 in your talk. What does that mean? Because when's that due and what, and what are you going to put in it? Because I thought 1.5 was basically the end of Angular 1. And, and I put 1.6 in the slideshow exactly to signal to everyone that there is an ongoing path for Angular 1, that 1.5 is the next step. But after that, we'll then start adding more features again and, and they'll go into 1.6, 1.7 and so on. The end of Angular 1 is is a long, long way off. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's it's almost silly to have to talk about it. <laughs> um, I, I kind of hate the fact because it's almost like bringing up the topic makes people think about it and, you know. Yeah, just, but you know you do, Joe. You know you do. Yeah. That's that's why it seemed like even in the 15 minutes that I watched of the, of the keynote before I had to get back to do my job, uh, it seemed like <laughs> Brad, every everything Brad was saying was trying to reinforce that. So I, I appreciated that because I work with a lot of people who are scared that Angular 1 is gone. Uh, right. I really appreciated that they uh, they put a lot of effort not only to supporting it moving forward with uh, with Peter and his team, but making sure there's an upgrade path. Well, you have to realize that I mean, in most of the other frameworks that I've worked in, at least in Ruby and JavaScript, uh, once they move on to that next major version, they don't even talk about the old version, let alone think about supporting it. So right. unless there's a major security flaw and they feel like okay, we have enough people on this to where we got to go close that up. They won't touch it. And so right. I think they're trying to give us that reassurance that, hey, look, we're not going to leave you out in the cold if you've got a code base that still needs our help. Yeah, that's true. Hey, like anything, like anything, it's it's going to disappear someday. Everything disappears someday mm-hmm. The support. But, you know, as long as you're not leaving people and you've got a good path, and I like how they're tracking metrics to see, you know, when is that point going to be? Yeah. Uh, so it's a good feeling, so- you know? So being conscious of Pete, I'd like to talk about the other aspect of Pete's uh, involvement in this thing and um, maybe start talking about his or- involvement as an organizer of Angular Connect just because it was uh, a very interesting, very great conference. So yeah, I wanted to say one thing is like it's really uh, a privilege to have Joe with us, uh, staying with us at the moment because over the last six or 12 months, he and Aaron have uh, acted as mentors to us <laughs> and uh, given us uh, unlimited um, supply of, of really useful information and support. And, uh, we really benefited from that. And any sort of success that we've had is, is very much built upon not only listening to their ideas, but also looking at what ng-conf does well and, and being inspired by that. So that's been a massive bonus for us. And we really appreciate how generous they've been with their time and, and their ideas as well. Uh, thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. You should have made Joe uh, put your kids to bed. <laughs> he he spent a good period of time talking Star Wars with my son, so he's done his work this evening. <laughs> New trailers out. I've already yeah. bought my tickets, man. My family's got tickets. Um, me too. Yeah, we, there was an email went out this afternoon actually from my friend, my son's friends, so they're booking theirs already mm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Pete, uh, give us some of your thoughts and impressions of you know the conference, being an organizer what you thought went great about the conference, any specific thoughts about changes for uh, future co- future versions of Angular Connect, et cetera? Yeah, so the, I think that the conference in general had a really good vibe. It felt very happy. It, I really felt like people were enjoying themselves. Lots of the feedback that we got just uh, anecdotally was that the, the word that just kept coming up was fun. And, mm-hmm. and that made me really proud and happy because, you know, we wanted to, people to be enjoying themselves as well as getting stuff like uh, information out of it. The one thing that I think we did, which is slightly novel maybe, and which I think is a really good idea, but didn't maybe quite work as well as I hoped, 
is we had this idea of separating talks from Q&A. So rather than allowing Q&A to happen at the end of a talk, we assigned every set of speakers or groups of speakers to have their own completely separate session of which we called AMA, like Ask Me Anything, which meant that they could focus on just getting through their talk in the main track. And then later on, they could have a much more detailed um, and intimate discussion with the people who really cared about that subject. And for me, I thought this was part of what we were trying to achieve with Angular Connect of, of actually giving people an opportunity to really get connected with the people who were giving the talks and with each other in a more sort of intimate environment, informal environment. Now, I thought that was a really good idea. And I think it just about worked. But what I think didn't work quite so well is I don't think we sold this idea as well as we could have done to both the attendees and the speakers. So the speakers didn't quite realize how they get could get the most out of that arrangement. And I think the attendees were still quite obsessed about making sure they saw all of the talks that they uh, thought they wanted to see. Mm. But the thing is, we were live streaming and recording all of the talks, and you can go and watch those later. And the AMAs were not being recorded or streamed. They were very much about being there at the, that moment. And that's what I felt they were paying their tickets for, that actual contact. And so the, the number of people in the AMA sessions was not as high as I'd hoped. But I guess the doubt, the upside of that is that you had people like Rado or, or Naomi or Brad or Igor speaking in these AMA sessions with maybe a few dozen people and all those few dozen people were getting really, really direct, mm -hmm. good um, access to these people. And they were able to really get deep into their questions. So right. on the one hand, I felt more people could have benefited. But on the other hand, those people who did benefit got amazing, amazing access. So. Yeah, I was really impressed with the AMA sessions. I ended up acting as a facilitator for about three hours today. And then I had my own AMA session as a speaker later on. And uh, I really liked the idea. And I thought it went great. I, When I was the speaker, uh, I had a particularly small group. I don't know, five or six. But it ended up being a really nice conversation. But yeah, it would have been nice to see other people less concerned about being in their sessions and go out and join the speakers. So I agree with you. It was, a, it actually was a great idea that, you know, maybe some iteration in the future. The one thing I did notice is in my session, our speaker, she hadn't spoken yet. And so mm. people didn't have any questions for one of the, there's three of us. Mm. People didn't have any questions for one of the, of the three speakers because she wasn't like a recognized expert on anything. Of, of course, if you put Igor or Brad in a room, then it doesn't matter. People are going to have questions, <laughs> right? But not that's not true for all the speakers. But I really liked the AMA and I thought that it was, you know, at NGConf, we always did this like office hours where speakers go outside in the hall and people can go out and ask questions. And we were lucky if two people went out and asked questions. Mm -hmm. So you had a much better success rate of getting people connected with the speakers than we have had in the past with NGConf. I think the trick is to try and find that balance between formality and informality. Right. You know, if it's too informal, then it doesn't quite happen. If it's too formal, then you don't really feel that you can make that connection and really get right. deep into stuff. So, Well, I think people fear sometimes, too, actually going and meeting some of these people. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen a lot of these, too, where, like, let's say, you know, they put Brad, at, uh, go talk to Brad in the hallway. I've talked to a lot of people who are just, uh, for whatever reason, too shy to... Starstruck. Uh, yeah, yeah, starstruck to go do this, where at least if you put them in a room where it's still like chairs and a table kind of thing, there's enough separation there where people will go do it. So I've had it happen both ways where I've left a thousand person room and then 10 people follow you for questions because it's in the hallway versus going to a separate room where it's an area designed for it. And, you know, you get 100 people there. Mm -hmm. So whatever, it's human behavior, you know, but I think it's a great idea either way because you can really learn a lot both ways there. Yeah. And for the benefit of our listeners, I just want to encourage you. I mean, go meet these folks, you know, both speakers and other attendees, because I mean, ultimately we can all go watch the videos, but that's the thing that you don't get by not being at the conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe some of the other conferences will adopt this idea slightly and, and iterate on it and make it better. And by the time we might get another chance to do it, then it'll be the norm and everyone will get it and they'll all understand how to make the most of it. So right. I have to say that, I mean, of, of all of the technical groups of people that I've been involved in over the years, the Google team are easily the most accessible and, and friendly and. Oh my open. gosh. Hands down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They really make an effort. They're very humble and they merely make an effort to talk to everyone who wants to speak to them. And that's right. That's one of the reasons why you get these nice atmospheres at these, these conferences. Mm hmm. 
I have to say it's really cool. And I think that a lot of that uh, comes down from Brad as the leader of the Angular team. I think he realizes that they're in a very important position and encourages. I'm sure that plenty of other teams have really decent people in there. They just don't realize that it's so valuable for other people to have access and to talk to the team members. So um, I was involved in a React conference, and uh, there was a couple of times when, at least at the very beginning, I made a note to go up and talk to them and say, hey, it's important for you guys to realize that everybody that's here is really here for you. Yeah, there's other speakers, but they're really here for you. So the more you make yourself available, the better it is for the entire conference, for the entire industry. You know, I, hopefully they listen to me. I don't really know, but um, <laughs> I think they, I think a, they do, big deal. I know like Dan, Dan Wallene and I co-chair a conference, Angle Brackets, and uh, not at that particular one because it's newer, but in ones I've chaired in the past, it's really bothered me when I go into the speaker room and there's speakers in there who literally stay there the whole time. They hide off in a separate room <laughs> yes. and they never make an appearance except when they're speaking. And people are like dying to talk to these people. It's like, come on, go out there and mingle. You're here to meet with these people. So if you're a speaker too and you're listening, talk to people, get out of that room, prepare to talk before you get to the conference. Yeah, totally. And the thing is, is that honestly, if you're speaking, you are in a prime position to go meet people. You're up there. People are coming to your talk because they want to hear what you have to say. And then they come to basically, you know, make that connection. What you said really helped. What you said was really interesting. Um, you know, you can explore the topic maybe a little more deeply with somebody who's got some expertise in it. Yeah, get out there. I've been tempted to tell a few people, yeah, just go stand by the speaker's room when they come out to use the bathroom. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I completely agree. All right, All right. So, so we just got done talking about uh, speakers and stuff and Pete had to go to bed. Um, maybe we should get back into where Angular 2 is at now. Right. Obviously, the big announcement was kind of what I said. There is no announcement because we're still just shy of beta. I think what was what's interesting to do is to go and look at the entire set of talks that was given at Angular Connect. Now, a large portion of them were for Angular 1, which is obviously natural because Angular 1 is still what people are using. And so they need those talks in order to continue on with their work. And so looking at the, but looking at the Angular 2 talks, there was more than just the, hey, here's some syntax for you to look at. But we're actually seeing real talks about Angular 2. Brian Ford gave a great talk about the router which was one of the most highly attended talks. It was a two-track conference, so people could choose between two rooms. And that was one of those talks that just like 90, 95% of the people came and attended that talk. So obviously the router is really interesting. Uh, there's a talk on full-stack Angular that I didn't see. There was a course of getting some getting started type stuff. Matthias was talking a lot about animations in Angular 2. So I think that looking at these sorts of things, the overall point here oh there's a, a big talk by about testing by julie ralph oh hey i also heard on this one that they announced the ionic team the folks we talked to last week's episode chuck that ionic 2 uh has some announcements for angular 2 as well yeah that was one of my favorite parts of the conference was seeing i actually thought they give a great give a great little talk and uh, for me it was super interesting that they announced it they published it we can put a link to their uh, to the Ionic 2 framework so you can start playing around with it. And you should definitely go and watch it. It's a pretty small piece of the keynote. It's only five minutes long. So you should definitely go watch it, but see how they're talking about Angular 2 is ready for Ionic. And because of Angular 2 and its performance, you know, on the phone, it actually translates out there. So the phone apps are even better now with Angular 2 than they were with Angular 1, more responsive, more sensitive. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. And and there's a oh, couple yeah. of beginner ones, too, here. So we've got uh, the keynote, of course, a great place to start for everybody. And I'm just looking at the YouTube page. But there's also a talk here, Getting Started in Angular 2, which is, uh, from what I understand, a very basic 101 level mm -hmm. uh, Angular 2 talk with, uh, is it Rado? Is it pronounce his name? Yes. And Naomi. Yep. That was a good one. I didn't get a chance to see any of Matthias's talk on NG Anime. Could you tell us a little about how that one went? I watched probably half of that talk. And I found it to be very similar to his talk on animation from, he talked about it just for briefly during NG Vegas, but he did talk specifically about Angular 2, but I know that he's been working on sort of a, an animation framework that could potentially be published as a third party library. I don't know if he talked about moving it in that direction or not. And if I missed it, but this new animation library that he's been putting together looks really hot and it's got 
if you've done animations, any serious animations in Angular or in uh, JavaScript or well, not even JavaScript, just in HTML and CSS, you know that at least hopefully you identify with me. I always found that to be like particularly confusing, right? The way that you said at the start and the end classes, they just don't jive. And I find it to be to maybe this isn't a great example, but like the directive definition object, it's just very confusing and you really got to learn it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I've only seen uh, snippets of Matthias's talk there, but I saw some of the animations he showed and they were pretty impressive. Right. Uh, in, in the talk this, here at Angular Connect. I'm most impressed with this API that he's put together and he talks about it and shows that it's so much more simpler to grok what is a animation, right? Uh, how to set up the start and the end of an animation and set those up. I'm just really impressed. In, in many ways, this is potentially giving him too much credit, but kind of like what jQuery did for JavaScript, he's doing for animation. Yeah, right? let's admit it. It's, it's hard sometimes to actually get animations to work and to understand. Yeah. And generally what I end up doing is I go, I look for a third party library that does it well and pull them in, or I look at some animation I wrote and slaved over before and I copy and paste it to figure out where I need to go with it. Uh, it'd be great if transitions versus animations could be much easier in Angular 2. And I'd love to check out that talk. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good one to check out. So I really like that one. My particularly two favorite pieces of announcements were Ionic and then Firebase. Uh, Sarah gave a great talk, showed off the Firebase, and talked about how, because of the way that Angular 2 is built, Firebase integrates so much better than it does with Angular 1, which is integrated great with Angular 1, no doubt about it. But it was much easier for them to integrate with Angular 2, and it integrates better the way that you use pipes, and there's you don't have to worry about digest cycles. It was really slick, and I was really excited about it. I heard there was a talk by some guy about becoming a Betazoid. Was that a good talk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was my talk. And if you happen not to be a Star Trek fan who was uh, alive during the early 90s and watched The Next Generation, you don't know what a Betazoid is. But I actually gave a soft skills talk. This was my first conference talk that was a soft skills talk. And I talked about having empathy and listening and the role of that in the workplace. So if that's something that interests you, go check out my talk. I feel like it went well and I got lots of positive feedback. So there was three soft skills talks. Mine, there was a, a woman named Silvana, I believe, who gave a talk about uh, high performance individuals. And I didn't see her talk, so I'm not entirely sure of her content. And then Amy Knight, who's on the JavaScript Jabber podcast, she spoke about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And a lot of it was the focus of it was junior developers and the role of junior developers and the value of them and being one or being a senior developer around junior developers. And she, she gave a really great talk. I really liked it. She took away a lot of the mystique of being a junior developer and, or having one and hiring one. And I think she did a great job too. I think this is the wave of the future. At least it should be at events. And I've seen more of these at conferences, these soft skills, uh, yeah. you know, how to communicate, how to talk, uh, how to, you know, be more efficient at work or, Mm -hmm. There's there's too many of us in this industry, myself included at times, where I struggle with some of these things. And uh, it's nice to see uh, how full they are. I mean, I gave a talk on uh, just ways to uh, communicate effectively at a conference. And it was shocked me how many people came to that talk. Hmm. So um, I think these kind of things are things you should do more of. I, I completely yeah. agree. I mean, the hard problems in software these days aren't what technology should I use or uh, or at least generally they're not. Which technology should I use or how do I solve this problem in an effective way? I mean, you can go search a Stack Overflow and find five. The real problems come in with the way that you interact with other people on your team and the way that you interact with people who are not on your team, who are stakeholders one way or the other, um, how you manage your career and all of these other things that affect the way the software gets made but the people issues are the harder ones, not the technical issues. Right. I just want to mention one of my favorite soft skills talks was uh, Igor's talk from NGConf about meditation. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend that one. Yeah, it's also funny to me, though, how many people like dismiss some of those. I remember talking to people after mm -hmm. NGConf, and some people were like, man, I really loved Igor's talk. And there were some people that were like, oh, it was such a waste of time. And it, what it really <laughs> depended on was what they were coming to the conference for and what they right. placed value on. Right. So this is something interesting that Angular Connect did. They actually had a meditation guide 
there in a room and you could go in. There were sessions. You can go in and go into a meditation session while you're there at the conference. Oh, cool. I wow. didn't try it myself, but I heard a lot of good feedback from it. I wonder if some people go in and they never come back. They're still <laughs> meditating at the end of the conference. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd be, so, I'd be slumped got, over in the corner. So right. the one thing I hate about conferences, my, my least favorite thing about conferences is when it's over, that thrill, that rush is gone. All the excitement, all the great stuff, all the people that you've talked to in the hallway conversations. And then it's like, ah, when's the next one going to be? So, mm-hmm. Joe, what is the next big Angular conference uh, that's on the horizon? <laughs> well, as far as I know, it's NGConf, which will be in May. And we are officially sold out of tickets. But if your company happens to be sponsoring, there are still tickets left for sponsors. That would be the next big one. And let's hope that uh, Angular 2 is out, available, and in full force there. I imagine the content hasn't been decided yet for NGConf, right? Oh, no. We're not doing the call for papers until February just for that exact purpose. I want to make sure that the content is fresh. So we're only doing the call for papers, you know, two and a half months before the conference itself. Well, and given the time horizon that you gave for NG2 beta, right. it, it makes a lot of sense because you'll have a really good idea then as far as, you know, what's coming down the pike with the beta. You know, I actually almost, I want to go back because I, I think we were joking a bit about how, you know, Joe, you said that the APIs were uh, going to be pretty stable now. And we joked that, you know, we expect that something to break any minute. But I think I was making, or at least I was making too light of it. I do, I actually do agree that this has the feel of something that is close and close to being, you know, you know, there, there's some things that they've, you know, now that you've, that uh, people have been playing with it, they feel are a little rough and they like to get those, uh, sanded smoothly before calling a beta and that is going to affect APIs but it's shaping up pretty well and I didn't I didn't want to to suggest otherwise. Well we were all right. offended by you were completely offended. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it is fair though since they're saying they're still not coming out of alpha that there are going to be some breaking changes somewhere. Well if you've ever delivered a product a software product uh, you know it's it's a good experience to go through because what does close mean, right? I mean, and I agree with Ward. It, it is close. There will be changes, but me, getting the beta doesn't mean nothing will change at this point forever. You know, at this point, what I can kind of foresee in alpha to beta is they're kind of nailing things down, rounding off the edges, sanding it, smoothing it, you know, putting on that semi-gloss on your trim. Those kind of things are happening. And that, that stage usually means to software, making sure the API that you go to beta with is the one you think is the right API. You know, so this is the last chance in alpha, in my mind, to rename things that need to be renamed, maybe break things up or combine things that maybe should be combined uh, and also create sugar syntax or things that might be, uh, you know, maybe take four lines of code now and maybe we can find a way to make it one line. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. So exactly. That's closing things off. Exactly. I mean, packaging, you know, those those things, you don't even really discover that you got those things as needs until you get closer, as close as they are now. And as, as uh, John was saying that, you know, particularly when you try and document some of these things, you realize that you're telling people four or five steps to do something that shouldn't take that long and just a little bit of just a little bit of something on the top of that would mean that you didn't even have to talk about it. You could leave that as an advanced topic. Those are the kinds of changes that I see coming, and, and that, that trickles down into the kinds of practices that we recommend to people as, as the practices they should follow. Um, those things need to be done, but it really has the feel of a, of a framework that is close and that I would actually enjoy using. I, I just want to pile on that a little bit. I mean, when you say that the API is solidifying, what that means to me and what I usually think of with alpha is that there's less experimentation. So essentially, they're not building six different ways to do it and seeing which one really makes sense. Um, you know, when they go into beta, they've pretty much settled on one. And unless something major comes up, they're not going to change it. Right. Like you're not going to see major new components pop out of here right. or one disappear, right. which is worse. It's more just figuring it out. For example, the router, one of the things that's been discussed is some of the APIs of the router. While I feel like my experience with it has been very positive in using it and getting it to work, there's places where it's like, you know, maybe when I'm training people on this, I'm talking to people at hackathons, uh, this was hard for me to communicate. What if it was named this way? Or what if the API, you called it in that way instead? Uh, those are the kind of things that I see uh, possibly, hopefully, changing before we go beta. 
Yeah, but it's going to be a whole lot more of that and a whole lot less of, well, what if we try to do it this way instead? Yeah, well, like we don't want data binding anymore. Oh, this unidirectional data flow? Nah, yeah. forget that. And universal JavaScript? Nah, we were wrong. It's, you're not going to see that stuff. Right. <laughs> At least I hope not. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you said, John, about uh, you just mentioned the line of what takes four code or what's we're writing in four lines of code that you can write in one now. It actually reminded me of one of the other talks that I want to highly recommend. And that was uh, Better Concepts, Less Code in Angular 2 by Victor Savkin and Tobias uh, Bosch, I think is his last name. I say it. Um, Victor's one of the, I think they're both on the core team, but Victor is like one of the deep core guys that's writing the deep core pieces of Angular 2. In that particular talk, it was a great talk. Now, it was funny because there was no humor, no jokes, no inspirational message. It was just a really good educational thing about Angular 2. And what they showed was building a tab component in Angular 2 and comparing it to the same thing in Angular 1. When he was done, he showed a screenshot of just the code all way zoomed out, you know, in a tiny, tiny font to show you all the code. But the Angular 2 component took half as many lines of code, including templates, to do the same exact component as Angular 1. And it was a lot easier to reason about and gave you more features. So that was a really cool. And it actually showed a lot of more deep features of Angular 2 rather than wow. here's how to do a for loop, here's how to do a binding, here's how to do an event. It, yeah, it I sounds like they, they've really kind of nailed down the lessons that they learned from Angular 1 as far as... Mm -hmm how they could make things better, more concise. I think it's right. going to get better, too, at this mm -hmm. point, because there's still some things that could definitely need some sugar, and, and they're aware of it, and I think Brad even mentioned one or two in the keynote part that I watched, but I, I'm excited. I'd like to see that talk, because that's been kind of what my thought was. I feel like I'm running less code with Angular 2, but I haven't seen it yet, so I'd love to see that side by side. Right. After seeing that particular talk, I got significantly more excited about Angular 2, even though I've done a fair amount of it. You know, seeing that and that particular talk really excited me about Angular 2. And they talked, you know, of course, the Angular team is so good about being very considerate of the concerns of the enterprise, internationalization, testing, uh, accessibility. You know, they've always done a great job of that. And Angular 2 is no different. So I really do feel like Angular 2 is a really compelling product. Uh, in the current landscape. So I'll pile on and I'll say this. There are days when I wish I didn't know Angular 1 because it <laughs> kind of get it gets in the way of my seeing the way Angular 2 is set up. Because there, there, it seems to me that there are fewer concepts hanging around. There's more consistency. I get stuck every once in a while and saying, but in Angular 1, we did it this way. And that mm -hmm. interferes with my quickly grasping new stuff. So, yeah, I think it's... Um, it, I know the emphasis of the keynote was all faster, faster, faster. But I feel like they could could make claims to this also being clearer and easier to write. Well, on the other side of the spectrum, and or and I appreciate this, thank you, you came to help out uh, in Florida here at the hackathon we did with Angular 2. I feel very strongly that the biggest problem people had at that hackathon was not Angular. Again, it was the ecosystem, and it was in some ways TypeScript and ES6. There's a lot of people out there who really seem to struggle with this, at least, and we had over 100 people at the hack night. They had a lot of problems with going to use that stuff. And the things that they mentioned to me that they didn't like was that syntax. They felt like they, you know, ES5 was like, they knew it like the back of their hand. So this isn't an Angular 2 thing, but I feel like there's still mountains to climb because that's a friction point that has to be solved for people. Uh, people are going to have to start learning how to use these things uh, because even if you, though you can use ES5 with Angular 2, I think it really behooves people to start learning ES6 and TypeScript. Yeah, that's true, John. And unfortunately, that mountain is sitting right in front of the door. <laughs> yes. So you, I mean, you, you know, that's uh, it's right on the other side of that mountain. And, you know, anybody who wants to target ES6 or TypeScript as an environment is facing this issue. It's not an – as you say, it's not an Angular problem. But the community has got to rally around this and um, knock the top off this mountain because it's uh, it's a significant barrier uh, to entry and it's a shame because once you get past it or once you get it, once you lay down a little pattern that works, then life is pretty good. But getting over that hill is is tough. So one thing we we kind of briefly talked about Ionic and Ionic two coming out. I don't know if I've heard much of the story with NativeScript. So I, I know that they claim that you can build native apps with native script 
but how does Angular figure in if they're using actual native components, or is it a hybrid app like Ionic? Well, I particularly don't know very much because I missed that talk. I did see either, I think, a few minutes of it, and they were talking about it. I know that they've been talking about the fact that the rendering engine for Angular 2, as they turn it into HTML, is a component that can be pulled off and you can put an entirely different rendering engine. So if you're, rather than rendering out to HTML and using HTML templates, instead you could be using, rendering out to like, you know, some native widgets, okay. uh, similar to the way that you can do like iOS and stuff. But I just, I personally don't know that much about it. I missed that particular talk. I just know that that's something that they've been always keeping in so that the, the core framework itself is separatable from the rendering engine. Okay, well, we'll just uh, chalk it up we'll as an episode. We'll we should do. Talk. Yeah, let's do an episode, and, and we'll have to watch that talk as preparation. Well, the way they pitch native script in general is, uh, and this is on their homepage, right? It's develop iOS or Android or Windows Phone apps from a single code base. So the idea is you write your JavaScript, and then it kind of goes everywhere. Um, how they get there, I don't know for sure, but I believe they use the JavaScript bridge on the native devices. But yeah, that's one of those talks. I was actually... Um, Kind of surprised to see them in the uh, in the lineup at, at this event, but I'm really curious to see kind of where Telerik takes us. Yep. Yeah. And just yeah, I, just fair I, notice as well, uh, Telerik is a sponsor of the show. <laughs> nice. So we should say nice things. <laughs> say whatever you want. <laughs> I've, I've told all of them. the sponsors we will say whatever we think. But yeah. Not, and NativeScript, to be fair, NativeScript, I've got a lot of friends at Telerik. Uh, they've been asking me to look into it. And quite frankly, I have not had time to dive into that yet, but I'm hearing it in enough circles. And that's kind of how I, <laughs> when I'm not looking at something, if I hear it from enough people, the right people in the right places, that's when I start to take a closer look. And uh, I think that one's getting enough talk now where it'd be worth uh, doing a little dive to see where that goes. Yep, Absolutely. Yeah, and also in the in the interest of, of talking about the mobile space, I mean, we could also probably do an episode with the guys from Famous because I know yes. that they also integrate Singular if you would like to. We should get them on and we should get uh, Burke Holland there at Telerik to talk about NativeScript. All right. Cool. Yeah, I like it. So, is that the end? I don't know. Is there anything else <laughs> that we should talk about? There was one other thing that was actually a really big thing Documentation-wise, they released a cheat sheet. I don't know how that slipped through my mind, but that was actually a really big piece of documentation. They got this great Angular 2 cheat sheet. Uh, Naomi talked about it, I think, in the keynote, uh, mentioned it. So that's really interesting. As uh, the in fact, there was a major release of the documentation site. So the Angular.io site has been updated quite a bit. And so there's this cheat sheet you can go get. And there's one other thing that I thought was actually just as big of an announcement of, of the cheat sheet. And that is there's a new tutorial up. It's a very big full fledged tutorial written by none other than our own John Papa. Oh, awesome. Kudos, great, John. Yeah. It's a great tutorial. I've actually gone through portions of it myself and it's actually a really good tutorial. So if you're interested in learning Angular 2, that is by far uh, one of the best places to go and get it. Uh, and uh, other training related news Egghead IO on the same day as the conference released a full suite of Angular 2 clips. I think they've until this point had like five or six and now they've got like 12 or something. So that's other big news. Um, we'll definitely put, John's going to put a link to the cheat sheet in the uh, show notes for anybody that wants to go get it. You can browse around the doc site and grab it as well, but yeah, it's, it's a great cheat sheet. If you, I mean, I've seen them in the past, but this is really, really good. It's a couple pages. They made a poster of it. But just to give you an idea, it's like it really, if you look at this, it almost looks like, wow, that's all there is? I mean, there's a lot of really good things in there. Like, you know, what's the component directive and where do you get it from? There? You know, how do you import it and what does it do for you? Mm -hmm. uh, what are the built-in directives? I think it's funny. The built-in directive section shows four built-in directives. I mean, how many do we have in Angular 1? <laughs> So that over was seven, over 70. I counted them. <laughs> I don't have that many fingers. I can't go that high. So yeah, <laughs> I, it's really, really a good cheat sheet. I give kudos to Naomi for putting this together. Uh, and it's listed at the top what version is for because it's alpha 44 right now. But uh, as that changes, they keep that up to date. Right. Good deal. Well, is that it? Is that everything? That's everything that I can think of. Okay. I probably missed one or two important things. I think one thing that would be really good is if anybody cares, I think in the show notes, I'll put a quick list 
of the talks that I think are particularly important to go and see for people who want to get up to date about Angular 2. Um, there's plenty of other great uh, sessions that were in the conference that you should also check out, but I'll try to get my, you know, Cliff's notes. Like if you want to be up to date with Angular 2, watch these few talks here. So Joe, I think there was another area of announcement that we didn't talk about today, oh. which was material design. I thought that um, I had the impression, tell me if I'm right, that that, that they either did a release or they, they, they came really close to having something that said material design is is now ready for production do you recall where that stood you're asking the guy who didn't attend that talk gotcha <laughs> that was well, on the website for material design i just went to it quick because google works like that it says latest release 1.0.0 rc1 oh, so yeah there. there was a real effort down the stretch here to get material uh shaped up so that we can all um look at it and uh, it looks I, great. It looks great. It, it it looks great. Yeah. So that was the one thing a, my guys at work were, were playing with uh, left and right today while they were catching stuff. Uh, they were up there asking if they could use it now. <laughs> so it's like, well, let's make more wait more than three minutes after it's been announced. <laughs> but it looks pretty darn awesome uh, what they put together. And they've got demos and they've got controls and they've got animations. And I don't know why I'm talking like that, but it's all there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I did have a conversation with uh, Aaron Frost. Uh, who was also at the conference, and he went up and talked. He was telling me he went up and talked to the Angular the or the material design guy because he's been doing working a lot recently with material design. And one of the things that he said to me that he told him that I didn't realize was his opinion. And I myself haven't played a lot with material design. Was he went up to the guy and just thanked him because the API for material design is just so clean and intuitive. And so much better than he's like, it was genius and brilliance. The API that they came up with the material design is just so well done. So again, if you haven't been doing it, you should be checking it out. I knew that I, I've been kind of following it and I know Thomas Burleson and that was the thing I was really looking forward to. Cause I'm sorry, folks, I struggle with CSS bootstrap. I just, <laughs> it just does not make a heck of a lot of sense to me. And material design looked like it was going to lay down on the page in a way that it certainly made more sense to, to, to me anyway. So I'm looking forward to the fact that it's so close to release. Yeah. That's one thing. I mean, I'm a fan of both Zurb Foundation and Twitter Bootstrap, but yeah, there's a lot there to keep track of. Yeah, it looks like material design in at least some ways is simpler to kind of keep in your head. All right, well, why don't we go ahead and get to some picks? If there's anything we forgot and you're yelling at your, your phone or iPad, then let us know. I've actually set up a GitHub repository where you can open issues as topic recommendations and I will put a link to that here in the show notes. And uh, that way, if you have ideas for shows, then you can go ahead and uh, submit them there. And anyway, let's let's do some picks. Joe, do you have some picks for us? You bet. My first pick is an easy one, and that's going to be Angular Connect. Uh, now that I've actually attended the conference, I you know I always hoped that it was going to be a good conference. I can honestly say it was a great conference. They did a great job. So if you're in the Europe area or you can swing the flight through your boss or out of your own pocketbook for next year, I highly recommend you attend next year. It was a great conference and it's sort of like six months off of NG comp. So there's plenty of things that are news in the world of angular to be seen at and plenty of great education to be had. So that'll be my, my first pick. And then my second pick is going to be Denmark. I swung by Denmark on the weekend uh, before I went into uh, the conference. That just and, sounded funny. <laughs> yeah, didn't it? I just went out to visit some friends, and I always love going to Denmark. Everybody speaks English, so it makes it easy, particularly easy for me as a traveler to go up there. And it's clean, and it's a nice place, and I really like Denmark. So that's my second pick. All right, John. What are you? What about you? What are your picks? Oh, I'm going on for uh, Star Wars. The new Force Awakens trailer came out uh, earlier this week. And uh, if, if you know me at all, you know I love Star Wars. I, I love Disney. I love Marvel. It's awesome. Anyway, I just bought my tickets for my family. I can't believe how sold out they already are for it oh, premiering on December 18th. It's crazy. I was so peeved that I didn't get tickets to the Thursday night show. I will say, John, 
I have not watched the trailer, but that's on purpose. I don't want to ruin any footage, any more footage than I already have with the first teaser. I haven't seen anything beyond the first teaser. They don't. T- it's funny. The, the trailer that came out Monday night during Monday Night Football, uh, while my Giants got pummeled, uh, was, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I wanted to cry. Anyway, while I was watching the, the trailer, it was funny. It wasn't like a normal Star Wars trailer. It was uh, a little more subdued. And they didn't really reveal a lot, I felt, but it was really, really entrancing. And even my kids were just like, I cannot wait to see this. And, uh, you know, they didn't grow up with it like we did. So uh, that's that's pretty, uh, pretty telling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing is, though, that I watched the trailer. I know people don't want to spoil any footage, so I will be very non-specific. But there were some people I was expecting to be in the trailer who weren't in the trailer. Yeah, I heard that there was yes. some stuff about that, some... I don't, and just to I'm really, for, really, really, really disappointed that Alec Guinness wasn't in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And for those of you who don't know, that is Obi-Wan Kenobi. In the original. Um, otherwise known movies. as Ward Bell. Sir Alec Guinness. Yep. Uh, the dear departed went long fondly remembered, mostly for his roles in much better movies than Star Wars. Ooh, ooh. Yes. Is that possible? He was a very good actor, yeah. If you've watched anything else he's been in, yes. No, I meant better movies than Star Wars. Nah, I, I just let that go because Ward, yeah. <laughs> That's Ward. <laughs> All right, Ward. If, I, if I see Star Wars sometime this decade, it'll be soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ward, what are your picks? It ain't Star Wars. No, I'm sure it's going to be great for George Lucas. And I'm I'm glad for all the fans who who were really looking forward to it, but to me it's like watching grass grow. So I'm sorry, <laughs> you got me on a roll there. I'm gonna just have to let that go. Charles, what are your picks? Oh man, uh, I've got a few picks here. the The first pick that I have, so I'm just gonna pick books. I've been reading quite a few books. First off, oh, before I get to that, I saw the funniest shirt the other day, and I'm gonna pick it as well. Put a link to the to it in the show notes. But there was a shirt that I saw, and it was a total troll for anyone who's not a sci-fi person. And uh, <laughs> what it was was uh, it was a T-shirt, and it had a picture of a Dalek from uh, Doctor Who on it. And then it says, I loved R2-D2, especially in Star Trek. And so, anyway, you'd have to see it and awesome. be a fan of all three franchises, and then it's hilarious. But anyway. <laughs> so the books. I've been reading to my kids. At night, I don't do it every night because I'm not home every night. I'm home most nights, but Thursdays and Tuesdays are usually busy. And so uh, my father-in-law got my daughter a book last Christmas, and uh, we read that to the kids. It's a historical fiction, and it's about the pilgrims. It's about Thanksgiving, and I figured this is a good time to talk about it. I will uh, put out there, because I know that he's a political commentator that a lot of people don't like. It's by Rush Limbaugh. Uh, however, this is purely historical fiction. They travel back in time. They go see Plymouth Colony. They get to, you know, kind of experience all the stuff that the pilgrims went through on the Mayflower and then in the colony. And it, it's kind of at the level of kids. So I, I'm going to pick it because I really enjoyed reading it to my kids. And I thought it was really interesting to see what it was about. So that was, it's called uh, Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims. Another book that I've been reading to them is The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis. Uh, That is the first, chronologically, the first book in the Narnia series. It's a prequel to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I love those books. They're they're terrific. And those are also more or less at the level of the kids. Uh, The language or the words that he uses sometimes are a little bit, you know, archaic, I guess. And so I do have to explain what this word means or that word means, but they've really been enjoying it. And we're pretty much done with that book as well. So then we'll be moving on to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, and if you do read those books, I, I do recommend you look up what the proper order of those is. Because, yeah, I think that was actually the originally, when they published them, that was the sixth or seventh book. Yes. Or fifth or sixth book. Yeah, but that's supposed to be the first one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, chronologically in the story order. So it happens before The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's a prequel. But, yeah, he wrote... The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then he wrote Prince Caspian, The Dawn Treader, The Silver Chair, and then I'm not sure of the order on The Horse and His Boy or The Magician's Nephew, but he wrote one of those and then the other, and then he wrote The Last Battle, I think is the final book, and that one was the last one he wrote. And so uh, anyway, uh, terrific books. But yeah, so you can read them in the order he wrote them, or you can read them in the order that uh, they take place in, um, which puts... 
I think the horse and his boy uh, happens after the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but before Prince Caspian. So, anyway, uh, the books that I have, they're actually in that order. They're in story order instead of publication order. But I, I know that you can get them where they're numbered the other way. So, whichever way you want to go. Yeah, so the last book is, uh, it's a financial book. Uh, it was reckon, recommended to me by John Sanmez, uh, who I talk to every week on the Entreprogrammers podcast. And uh, he recommended this book. It's called Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. It's an investing book. And it's really terrific. It gives you a lot of information that you need to prepare for the future and be ready for uh, retirement or whatever else you, you need to prepare for and have the lifestyle and income that you want. So anyway, those are my picks. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks for coming, guys. And thanks to Joe for calling in in the middle of the night. Yeah, you bet. No problem. It was a fun show to have, and it was a fun show to attend as well. So yep. I had a definitely had a big interest in promoting the conference. I had a great time attending, speaking, doing a little bit of organizational, tiny bit of organizational help. Obviously, nothing compared to the actual organizers, but it was a great show and certainly an awesome community to be part of. All right. Well, tell Pete thanks, and we'll wrap up, and we'll catch everyone next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com forum and sign up today. 